listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. We're glad you're here today. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of? All right. One of these days I'm going to find a new book and you're going to be wrong. But until then, we continue our year-long study, the book of Ephesians, in our series entitled, When Two Become One. Someone asked a a wife recently, she was married to this really obnoxious guy, and and they said to her, why did you marry him? What, you know, what was going on back in those days? And she said, simply, she'd surveyed all the men available, and it was supply chain issues. And so, (laughs) you may be in that place, we all know about supply chain issues in relation to this. We're looking at the subject of marriage because it comes up in our study of the book of Ephesians. And the truth is, marriage is hard work. It is. It's such hard work that a young lady who was recently engaged asked a friend of hers. She'd been married for quite a little bit of time. And she says to her friend, help me, give me some tips here on marriage. And the lady said, well, the first 10 years, the first 10 years of marriage is the hardest. The recently engaged lady said, really? How long have you been married? She said, about 10 years. (laughs) So marriage is hard work. And it's such hard work, we've been sharing with you, I've been sharing with you that fewer and fewer people are actually opting for marriage. The cohabitation is very popular. And cynicism regarding marriage is so prevalent. Now, why is marriage hard work? Marriage is hard work because it involves people. Any human resource, any HR people in the room? Marriage is hard work because it involves people. And the Bible says people, you and me, we're complex. We're complex spiritually. We're complex morally. And what happens is our needle, like the needle on a compass that points north, our needle points back to me. It's the number one person I want to make happy is me. And when that happens, Difficult things happen in marriage. If you didn't bring a copy of God's Word, there's a book in front of you, a black book. You can grab that and follow along with me and see if I'm lying about if God says this and that kind of stuff. Page 1162 in your Bibles, if I have that page number, let's look at God's Word together. Husbands, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present himself, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Let's go back over that. I want to identify the verbs with you. First verb I see in verse 25, the word love. The husband is to love his wife. Christ loves his church. That's the running analogy. The husband is Christ. That's the analogy. The wife and the church. Then look at the next verb at the end of verse 25. Gave himself up for her. Next verb, verse 26. Sanctify or make holy. Next verb, cleansed her by the washing of the water so that verse 27, one more verb, he might present her to the church, to himself in splendor. Everybody's got a hand in marriage, everybody. 
This community will be strong when its marriages are strong. And when our marriages are weak, it'll impact the community. It impacts your tax rate. More employees are needed in school districts because marriages are weak and the parenting follows with that. That has to be recouped someplace. You want lower taxes? Have stronger marriage. And you might have to convince them to lower your tax rate once you strengthen the marriage a little bit. So everyone's got skin in this game. And our community needs strong marriages. Now, why, who should listen to this message? Well, I think of three people that should have this message. If you're currently married, this, this message is for you. If you're single and you want to be married, this message is for you. You might make it just a little scorecard there. Does he measure up? This boyfriend that I'm dating, this girlfriend I'm dating, they measure up. Or maybe this is for you. If you're married and you don't want to be married, this is a message for you, okay? I just wouldn't raise my hand on that third one. Look at verse 25 with me. The Bible says here is a command, big heading, husbands, love your wives. This is a command. Verse 25, it's a command. Husbands are to love their wives. The Bible commands you to love your wife. In fact, the word love is mentioned some six times within this passage. And the Bible's command to love your wife may not be new information for you, but it may be needed information, a needed reminder. Because in truth, maybe loving your wife is easier to say that than to actually do it. One man had gotten on an airplane recently and looked over and saw the passenger next to him, had his wedding ring, the one I have on, but on the opposite hand. He was wearing it on the right hand. That's when the one guy said to the other, he said, hey, hey, mister, not my business, but I think you have your wedding ring on the wrong hand. He said, no, I have it on the correct hand because I married the wrong woman. <laughs> Nowhere in verse 25 does the Bible say, love her only if she is lovable, only love her if she deserves that. You may have married the wrong woman for all I know. You may have married the woman that your mother warned you about. She may have married the man that her daddy warned her about. But you too have said, I do, and you put wedding rings on. And the Bible here commands you to love your wife. Now, you say, Pastor, it's not all that helpful to have this command come from above. I need some help here. Well, let's look in together in this word. Love means to pay attention to her needs. Now, you need to pay attention to her needs and love her in a way that is her language. In fact, this is so important. Not only does the Bible command this, but in the early chapters of the book of the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, some of the earliest chapters in our Bible, Deuteronomy says to the newlywed husband, he is not to be obligated he is not to be obligated in the military. He is not to be obligated in the community for the first year of his marriage. And the reason is, Deuteronomy 24, verse 5, he is to make her happy. That's his responsibility. Year number one, make her happy. There's some wives here saying, we need to redo year number one all over again and go back to the beginning. But think of that. Ancient patriarchal Israel, he was to refrain from military conscription in order to make her happy. And so you need to love her and you're commanded to love her. And the Bible says to identify the language in which you're to love her. You know, in the life of our church, there's a, there's a widower now. But 
recently this year his wife passed away. I'm not going to call their name. But years ago in the life of this church, he found a young lady who's, who had been abused by her husband. She was a single mom. He married her. He loved her. And on her 50th anniversary, he had to move her into hospice. That was the day he were to move her into hospice. But it gets, it gets even better. During the ice storm earlier this year, remember that? He conscripted a way, found a way to heat the room. She was confined to this one room. The hospital bed had been brought into their bedroom. And I remember the way he did it. I said, I, I don't know that that's legal. I think you may burn the house down. But he kept her warm. And then the ice storm prevented the hospice nurse from getting to her. And so for those days, he did what the hospice nurse would do. You see, to love your wife is a myriad of pieces. And to love her from the beginning, 50 years ago, when she had been nearly destroyed by this man, and to love her 50 years later. So if you're a, if you're a thinking husband, any women here married to thinking husbands? Okay, hand, just a handful. <laughs> you're to be asking yourself, how does she want me to love her? How does she want me to love her? This may mean flowers. This may mean romance. But you're to love her as she needs and to love her as she wants. Now, her idea of a great time and her idea of love may be altogether different from yours. You may think that Monday Night Football is a great three hours together. And she should think that. She really should. <laughs> and she's wrong not to think it. But until the day she thinks it and thinks like right, like us, you've got to love her. Are you with me, men, on that? But the truth is we come to marriage with such different expectations. The man comes to marriage thinking that every night is going to be, you know, she's going to come with Victoria's Secret outfit, and she's hungering for you for romance, right? She thinks, as she comes to the marriage, that the two of you are just going to sit and talk for hours and look at one another's eyes, and you're going to rub her feet, and that's going to go on for years. And shortly into the marriage, you're going to realize the two of you are not thinking on those same lines. But here's the truth, and I can pick this up from Pastor James Merritt. When we don't get from marriage what we think, what we think we should, then we don't give our marriage what we know we ought. And that's the truth. The moment that she did or he did, you're going to then say, well, if that's the way she thinks, I'm going to just take care of me. The challenge is here, we're out of alignment. Yeah. Have you ever gone into a tire store and you said, hey, I think I might need some new tires or I need to do something here. And the guy says, you don't need new tires. Tires are not your problem. Your car is out of alignment. Your car is out of alignment. There are some men and there's some women here who think you need a new spouse. The issue is not your spouse. The issue is you're out of alignment. And until you get your car properly aligned, you're going to wear your tires unevenly. And until you are properly aligned, you're going to continue to have issues in marriage. That is, when you're married or single, whichever, you have this alignment. What's that alignment? 
You seek to love the Lord God first, and then you love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor may just be, happen to be the person you put wedding rings on. You're to love her. You're to love him. Notice what the Bible says here. The Bible commands the wife to submit, but it commands the husband to love. And I can just speak on behalf of women for just a minute. They're going to be happy to turn the line of responsibility over to you for marriage if they know you love her and continue to love her. So this Bible here commands us to love our wives. And nothing else in ancient literature will do this. If you check with the rabbis, they don't have a command to love their wife. You check with the Greek and the Roman literature of the time. This one stands all by itself. Husband, God is expecting you to love your wife. Look at this secondly, right there in verse 25. Now, not only husband are you to love your wife, but husband, you're to sacrifice for your wife. You're to sacrifice for your wife. So we might even ask this question, how am I as a husband supposed to love my wife? Well, verse 25 says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Of course, we know what Christ did. Christ died for us. Now, just to make it plain, I don't want anyone here leaving thinking, who's this church? Anybody here, the bride of Christ? Put your hand up, okay? If you, if you claim to follow Jesus Christ, you're the bride of Jesus. Now, you may be a man here and that may offend you that you're being called a bride, but just hang around. The Bible will offend you a lot more other ways <laughs> before you're done. Christ was crucified for sinners. And when sinners embrace Jesus Christ, you become the bride, you become the church. So how am I to love my wife? I'm to love my wife by even giving up my life for her. Now you think, no problem, pastor. Good southern redneck men, no problem whatsoever. If an intruder comes in, I'll take, you know, I'll take a bullet, I'll take a beating for my wife. But what we don't need is just men who are willing to die for their wives when the threat comes. We need men who are willing to love their wife daily. In fact, one woman said, she said, you know, sweetheart, I know that you're willing to die for me. You've told me that numerous times. But until the day arises when I need you to die for me, would you just dry the dishes until that day comes? <laughs> yeah? Yeah, you get the peace there. And we want to be that guy. Who's that guy? Think of that guy who wife got up in the middle of the night, couldn't find her husband. She put on a robe. She went downstairs. She found him there. He was in the kitchen, cup of coffee. He was just staring at a wall. She got closer. She was seeing him wiping a tear away from, from his eyes. She said, sweetheart, what is wrong? He said to her, do you remember when we were dating and you were 16? She said, sure, I remember that. I remember those days. Do you remember how you and I were in the back seat and we were kissing? Well, yeah, I remember that. Do you remember when your father found us and put that shotgun in my face and said, you either marry her or you're gonna do 20 years in jail? She said, yes, I remember that. He said, I would have gotten out today. <laughs> you don't wanna be that guy. That guy is not the picture, verse 25. You're to love your wife, you're to sacrifice for your wife. And again, this is not just a one-time sacrifice, this is daily realigning yourself, daily realigning yourself. Today, my number one priority is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and body. 
My second is to love those in my family and serve them, not to be self-centered. Self-centered is the opposite of love. And again, hear me carefully, you were born self-centered. So was I, every one of us. That's why Jesus calls upon us to love others as we love our, he recognizes our alignment. And so the realignment is to align ourselves to love others and love our spouse and love our wife is this. And we do foolish things to our marriage. True story, her name is Tessica, Tessica Brown. She was 40 years of age. Tessica ran out of hairspray. So having run out of hairspray, Tessica goes and gets Gorilla Glue Spray. It's a true story. She's a Louisiana girl, if that means anything. <laughs> Tell that to Danny Coots later when you see him. She sprays her hair with Gorilla Glue. It sticks. Fifteen washes later, it will not move. She goes to the ER. They cannot do anything with her forever ponytail. Weeks later, Tessica finds herself in a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon who essentially removes the glue from her rock-solid hair. True story. We do things as foolish as Tessica. We're as self-centered people. And we tend to be the arsonist to our own marriage. Now, you may not think you do foolish things. You probably can't remember the foolish things that you've done. But if you're married, if I went to your spouse and asked the foolish things you've done, I bet you, she could come up or he could come up with those in no time. Yeah. And so you've done these foolish things. These foolish things at this point is this self-centeredness. It doesn't belong in your marriage, but it'll pop back up. If you've been married 50 years, 60 years, 20 years, five years, five months, this self-centeredness keeps popping back up. And so we have to keep fighting this self-centeredness. And we need to give her men the attention that she deserves. Give her the attention that you'd give your job and your career. Give her the attention you'd give to your hobby or athletics or whatever else that you do. And again, when we don't get what we think we should for marriage, then we don't give our marriage what we know we ought. In essence, let me say the following, maybe come at this a little differently. A little differently. There are really no marriage issues. There are only single people issues that masquerade as marriage issues. Your issues in marriage are there because you're so intimate with someone. The intimacy with someone exposes the issues that you have if you were single or married. So there are no married issues. The issues I have in marriage are because I'm with someone and we're so intimate. We're intimate vulnerably, we're intimate emotionally, we're intimate financially. And those issues would be there, but I would ignore them if I were single. And if anybody brought them up, I'd just say, get out of here. I don't, I don't want to talk to you. Get out of my house. Get, I'm not eating with you again. But they come up, and because I put this ring on my finger, and we're tied in all these ways, I've got to listen to this. I've got to listen to the bad news about me. Always the issues on marriage, the self-centeredness. When a couple comes and they want to begin to talk to you about 
my issues in marriage, here's our problem. 99% of the time, he sits down and he says, well, she always. And then she sits down. And he, she begins her sentences with, he always. In other words, the issue in this marriage is right here. Your issue in marriage is right here. You're not going to be able to fix her. You're not going to be able to fix him. You can pray to fix him. You can pray to fix her. But you can go about fixing you. And again, there are no married people problems. There are only single people problems that are masquerading as married issues. And again, so marriage. So marriage, you won't give your marriage what you should, what you ought. Because oftentimes you only give what you think she's giving or he's giving in return. Husbands, sacrifice, sacrifice for your marriage. Here's the third and last thing. Back in Ephesians 5, husbands, reward yourself. Husbands, love your wife. Husbands, sacrifice for your wife. Husbands, reward yourself. Now look at the logic of the passage. Beginning in verse 25, here's the running analogy. Christ loves his church. The husband's to love his wife. As Christ loves his church, how did he do that? He was crucified for his bride and then here's the end result verse 27 so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or bride or wrinkle excuse me without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish so this is the logic of the passage christ did sacrifice himself but he did so to reward himself that's what it's saying Remember the passage, some of you who are experienced believers in Hebrews chapter 12, that Christ suffered, he bore the sin of the world, he suffered, and for the joy set before him. Jesus got something out of the cross. It wasn't just redeeming you, but he presented himself, his bride, his ultimate desire, without spot or wrinkle or blemish. Christ sacrificed to reward himself. And everything in life, when you think about it, requires sacrifice. A football coach and a football team wants to hold a trophy up in January. Well, that starts back with two a days in August. You've got to sacrifice there to accomplish your goal here. You want to earn a lot of money? Likely you're going to, have to spend time and sacrifice in some sort of school, in training, some sort of maybe even college. If you want to have a reward here, you've got to sacrifice there. And so Christ is the model for that. Now you may be here today thinking, I, I get this thing about the husband and the wife, but what does Jesus have to do with my marriage? Let me ask you a question. Are you a dog person or a cat person? I'm not asking what you like. I'm asking what your perspective is. See, the dog thinks to himself, these people, my owners, they feed me, they give me shelter, they give me treats, they play with me, they must be God. That's how the dog thinks. The cat says, these people, they shelter me, they feed me, they take care of me, I must be God. <laughs> are you a dog person or are you a cat person? Do you look at life thinking, I must be a great big deal? Or, these people are taking care of me, <laughs> I'm going to put my faith 
in the Lord God. It matters. Jesus Christ matters to your marriage. He is the only one that will save you and fill your emotional tank because he will love you with a love that comes to the cross that you'll receive nowhere else. But he's also your model. And his model for your marriage is two words, delayed gratification. You know what delayed gratification is, right? I'm going to do something today. I'm going to sacrifice for today for a greater reward tomorrow. I'm going to give up eating brisket and eat salad to have a thinner waistline. I'm going to go to school to have better prospects. Delayed gratification, the federal government, I'm going to quit spending so much money now so that we will have a balanced budget then. Nobody knows that in America today. (laughs) Delayed gratification. You can, husbands, by loving your wife and sacrificing for your wife, reward yourself. If you were to use delayed gratification, you can love the wife you have to get the wife you want. You can love the wife that you have right now to get the wife that you want. Studies are clear, more than 60% of unhappy marriages today If you will put in the work five years from now, if you don't divorce, surveys tell us you'll be happy. But so many people pull the ripcord and they jump out of the marriage. I've talked to a lot of them. May I say to you what they say to me? I wish I had not gotten out of that marriage. Now sure, there's some out there just can't redeem it, I get it. But for a lot of these, if you'll employ the methodology of Jesus, of delayed gratification, and put in the work of loving the husband, loving the wife that you have today, to get the husband you want tomorrow. Marriage matters a great, great deal. It's the strength of a community. It makes a difference in a man's life. A recent survey did a study, found that men who had generally the same profession, the same income, the same education, married men had 75% more retirement than single men with controlling factors. wonder why that is. Give you another one. Married men will oftentimes are shown to have saved so much more than married men, excuse me, than single men, because they realize they have someone that they must love and take care of. Marriage matters. Would you work on the marriage you have today? If your future self could show up and talk to your present self, your future self would say, if you can redirect some of the attention you're giving your career and put it here. If you could redirect some of the energies that you are doing to make yourself happy and put it right here on him and on her, you'll be blessed and honored. Here in the conclusion, I want to say to you, I believe in marriage. 20-something years of being a pastor, I want to tell you the most challenging, among the most challenging things I deal with are marriages. 
When I come alongside a couple and they're in trouble, more chances than not over the 20 years, if I were to keep records, we're not successful. Somebody bails out. That's just the reality of American marriage culture. Truly, it's disheartening. But saying that, I still say to you, I believe in marriage. Why? Because God believes in marriage. Because God believes in marriage. Secondly, I believe in marriage because the blessing and the benefits I've received over having been married for 20-something, 26 now plus years. I'm a much better person because of my marriage. Let's pray together. Today you may be here and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. I care not if you're single or married. I care not if you've been married dozens of times, how many affairs you've had, how many whatevers, what gender, none of that really matters today. First priority today is do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you come to know Christ? Do you have that stability in your life? When crisis comes, do you know that you have this loving Heavenly Father you can turn to and He is as close as calling upon His name? Do you have that? I'm going to lead you through a prayer where you can become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says you become adopted. He adopts you into His family. You would pray something like this, Father in heaven, my life is broken. I'm hurting. I don't have a lot to offer you. But I come to you and I receive your son, Jesus Christ. I know he died for me. I know he was buried for me. And I know that he was raised on the third day for me. I turn from my broken ways and my broken life. And I receive you by faith. You are my boss. You're my Lord. And you're my Savior. Just repeat those words to him. If you prayed that prayer today with every head bowed, would you just lift your hand up so very quietly if that was you? The first service, a young lady prayed that prayer. She didn't know the Lord. That's you today. You prayed that prayer. You don't know the Lord today. You came to know faith in Christ. Just put your hand up. Thank you so much. Today, Lord, we need your resurrection power for the marriages of this church and this community. Do the great work that you're so capable of doing. And we'll trust you for it in Christ's name that we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.